0: Hello and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. Dr. Todd Chambers is also a host, but not with us today. Miss Lindsay Coradino is one of our undergraduate majors and our, our researcher for the show. And I'm David D. Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, and originator, and sometimes host of Top's 10. Today I have with me Dr. Michael Galing, Michael is dean of the TTU College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Does that mean, by the way, you get free meat and, and fruit?
1: That does not it? mean that I get any of the above. There's all sorts yeah.
0: of rumors about what's going on over there. No, you know.
1: un- unfortunately, none of those rumors are true.
0: And I've, I've walked through your building. It smells perfectly fine as well.
1: That's, that, yeah, that's yeah, true. Occasionally certainly. you get the crude drover kind of smell, but not very often.
0: Okay, so yeah. you don't actually keep any cattle in your no, office? No, we, we don't. Or, yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: I just, just paintings.
0: All right, all right. Yeah. He received his B.S. in agriculture from New Mexico State University and his M.S. in animal science and Ph.D. in animal nutrition from Oklahoma State University. He has taught or worked at New Mexico State, West Texas A&M, until 1998 when he moved to Texas Tech, where he holds the Thornton Distinguished Chair in Animal Science and the highest faculty rank of Paul Whitfield Horn Professor. Dr. Galley and his students and colleagues have authored 233 peer-reviewed journal articles, 58 invited papers and book chapters, and numerous other proceedings and publications. And you've won so many awards and acclaims that I don't have time to list them all here, but people can go to your website for more. So are, are, would it be fair to say that you are at the, at the, the top of the animal science well, publication? Well, I don't and know if that would be fair and, to say.
1: It would be a nice thing to say, but I don't know if it would be We always be say nice be, things yeah. here. We'll get to okay. the really tough questions okay. later
0: Oh, okay. in the yeah. show. Now, what exactly do you study in animals? What are my, the big questions you try to deal well, with?
1: Well, my field is ruminant nutrition.
0: And uh, and a ruminant?
1: A ruminant would be cattle, sheep, deer.
0: Bovine. Yeah. Not cervid, surf, but bovine.
1: It, bovine is what i study primarily now you know i've done some things with giraffe and ruminate
0: some, ruminate is from, the, from they, they think from deeply the, about philosophical questions. they
1: do and they also chew the cud which is uh, what See, ruminate you, basically you means you
0: have to assume our reader our viewers and listeners are not uh, necessarily up on this yeah, so yeah. ruminate comes from ruminant because that, they just stand there for a long time
1: and, and chew the cud while they're doing that. So they regurgitate their food and chew the food to make it smaller in particle size and more digestible.
0: So. How much of a day does a cow or a bull, I mean, how much of a day do they have to feed in order to survive?
1: Probably about, in a grazing animal, probably about eight to nine hours a day they'll be actively grazing. And then they'll spend several hours ruminating or lying down and chewing chewing on what they ate uh, which is fibrous material, so they're trying to reduce the size of that and make it more degradable by the little bacteria and other microorganisms that reside in the in the large compartment, which is the rumen. So,
0: I, I read a lot of science fiction when I was a kid, and I was always today speculating about the search for extraterrestrial life, and there's been a lot of discussion that's very unlikely out there that there's a grazing animal that became intelligent and started designing spaceships because your your day is just so full too, too of chewing. M- that's right. <laughs> as opposed to uh, right. predators that you know can kill something and feast on it, and it, that's and, correct. And that yeah. lasts a week.
1: Yeah. In fact, it's it's hypothesized that uh, ruminants developed their pattern of life so that they could do just that: avoid predators. They could go out and graze and and consume a lot fairly quickly, although they have to do it several hours a day to get enough, but consume a fair bit and then go back in a more protected place and sit there and regurgitate it and chew on it and make the particles smaller and get the most out of it.
0: You grew up in New Mexico?
1: I did. I went to high school in Grants, New Mexico, the uranium capital of the world. Also the home, by the way, of Rob Stewart, who is our our, uh, senior vice provost.
0: Right. And I've heard a story about that, about the traumatic damage you... Did to his father's business is what that Oh well, I,
1: yeah, I wrecked
0: a truck. Yeah, how did you wreck the <laughs> it truck? It was
1: his his, uh, his father and uncle's business. Yeah, well, I was driving a water truck for uh, they did uh, core drilling for uranium sampling, basically. Uh, and uh, I was driving a truck and wasn't paying enough attention one day. And, and uh, now, you know, it was actually their fault, of course.
0: But this is before truck, iPhones and iPods. So I, what were you distracted by?
1: A, a uh, transistor radio, actually.
0: You had a transistor <laughs> radio. On, yes, on the, I, um, I the, did. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I had a transistor radio in the truck. So teenagers was, have always been so – I've always males. been doing stupid things like testing, yeah. texting, and emailing. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. it's always
0: been stupid to trust a teenage boy with almost any heavy equipment yeah, ever. Absolutely, yeah.
1: yeah. And we all continue to make that mistake of trusting teenagers with things. I, I don't understand it.
0: Uh, when when you were growing up, now, the uranium capital, I'm sure you've dealt your whole life with people asking you whether you glow in the dark. I have, or, I, yeah. W- now, what is the actual, you know, Geiger counter rating of Grants New Mexico? <laughs> I,
1: I don't think it? it's too high. I, I don't know. There may be some radon in those houses we were living in. But anyway, I don't think it's too high. But, uh, you know, they they mine yellow cake, which, or, or they produce yellow cake there is what they used to. I think they really don't do much of anything anymore. The uranium market worldwide is so small that that kind of killed the boom in Grants because of uranium. But, so, but I, I don't think you go in the dark too often in
0: Grants, but... I'm going to try switching off the lights here. Oh, wow, you, you do. <laughs> All right, well, I, it must help in, in other parts of life. So, that, uh, Well,
1: maybe, I don't yeah, know. There, yeah. there we
0: go. The, the first song that you listed for us is Amazing Grace, and you say that uh, you love church music. Did you grow up with music in your home? A lot of our guests have talked about their families. Sing- for our younger listeners, once upon a time, families used to get off their individual iPads and, like, gather together <laughs> in the same room. That's why it's called a living room, kids. Mm-hmm. And they would do things like play games and sing. Did, did that happen in your family? Was there singing in your house? It,
1: it, really not. We, we're not singers in the family. We love to listen to music. Uh, our singing primarily would have occurred at church, actually, I think. But, uh, but just – getting the family together and singing is something we really didn't do i do have early memories of my my father loved to play records of all kinds and they always had a stereo system and you know uh starting off with 45s and 78s and then up to 33s and or whatever you know the different and, and different for, records. again for
0: our younger listeners these are not guns <laughs> these are records that, that you that's play correct. on a yeah. record player. Yes. And you can yeah. look that up in Wikipedia if you want to know you more. You can,
1: and I still have, well, yeah, you some of my songs relate to those kinds of records, but and in fact, my wife always chastises me because I talk about going to the store and buying a tape or or a record and she reminds me that no we don't have those anymore. But anyway, so but my, my dad played a lot of records and, and uh, you know I remember on Sundays afternoons or Saturday afternoons here you know hearing the stereo going and he liked a lot of gospel kind of things and country and western kind of things so that's what I grew up hearing
0: Now a lot of times kids rebel against their parents music are embarrassed by it try out a new form Did, did you like the gospel and the country western your father was playing?
1: I liked it but you know I wasn't uh, really that enamored by it particularly as a teenager I was like everybody else you know I grew up in the in the late 60s and 70s so that's when I was a teenager so I kind of adopted the music
0: of the time What was the first time you heard Amazing Grace Oh I probably can't even remember the first yeah. time I'm it was sure it was,
1: yeah I was in church Yeah, yeah.
0: What did yeah. the song mean to you Well well, you were probably you know yeah, eight or I nine mean, or something like at
1: that. at an early yeah, age. Yeah. I don't know that. It, I think it's meant more to me in later years, understanding the story of the of the person who wrote the song, John Newton, uh, who was uh, a guy who kind of lived a pretty wretched life. He talks about himself in the song as being a wretch, but and he really had lived a horrific life in the slave trade and. And eventually, on a sea voyage where there was near nearly a shipwreck, I guess he uh, uh, pretty much had an epiphany that he needed to change his life, and and did so, and and became uh, a clergyman basically, and and uh, wrote the song later in life. But it's just a really terrific song about the kind of faith that Christian people have and uh, God's grace.
2: Amen. Sweet, the sound that saved us.
0: Song is, I guess, is a pretty much a, a different part of the world and a world of music. A "Rhinestone Cowboy" again, one I remember from my youth, and I, I was not living anywhere near the Southwest, but that was a big hit uh, as well in the Northeast where I was.
1: That was a that was a big hit worldwide. I guess you know that that was kind of a. Signature song in many respects for Glenn Campbell. Uh, I'm, my family's originally from Arkansas. Glenn Campbell's from Arkansas, so I had a little bit of a connection there. But, but this is a song that really means more to me any, than anything about my jukebox, which uh, is a 1951 Seaberg Selectomatic. And my dad bought it when I was in high school. I think he bought it for, I can't remember, I think he bought it for $50. He subsequently sold it to a guy for like $75, who gave it back to him a few years later after he had so totally messed it up that it wouldn't work anymore. So my dad got it back in working condition, and uh, and it's been in the family since then. After he passed away, my mom gave it to us so that, that our kids could enjoy it, so I play it every weekend. How big is it? Oh, it's uh, it's about um, five, uh, probably four feet tall off the ground, maybe three feet wide. Has a hundred, well, it has 50, 45 records in it. So it's a hundred songs with with the two sides.
0: So it's the one that we might see in a movie from the fifties in a soda yep, shop or something it, where exactly. the kids are playing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right.
0: And do you do you have it stocked with? The 45s. That uh, we you...
1: do, and uh, I have a cabinet full of 45s that I don't change them out that much. It's a little bit of a hassle to change them out and change the, you know, the labels that go with them. So I and I have songs that I really like and leave in there. So I don't really change it out a lot. Tend to play the same ones. Probably gonna wear wear the needle through them eventually. I play them enough, but uh, "Rhinestone Cowboy" is one that I probably play every week when I turn it on.
0: Now, "Rhinestone Cowboy." is a, a sort of bittersweet song, yep. because it's about somebody who maybe h- had a certain ideal that they were trying to live up to, and now they suddenly realize they're at a point in their life where they're no longer they're. living it up to. A rhinestone, again, for our younger listeners, a rhinestone. <laughs> I don't know if they still sell them, but... Yeah, I think so. I think you can buy jeans they're, with They're rhinestones basically on. fake fake diamonds, so <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the fakery. Is that, right. is that something that that strong struck yeah, you? Yeah, he's
1: putting up a front, and yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a song that... Uh, Talks about someone who wanted to make it big, had big plans in life, and they just didn't quite work out. To some extent, you know, I've been fortunate in life to be successful in what I wanted to do, and I have the greatest job in the world. I, I mean, I, people ask me if I like Dean's job, you know, and I think that it's absolutely the greatest job I've ever had. I really enjoy what I do. But I've had, you know, all through my career, I've been fortunate to do things that I really enjoy doing. But life's not always that way for people as we know and uh, Rhinestone Cowboys is a song about a guy who really had great dreams that just didn't pan out and his life isn't all that great at all really
3: I've been walking these streets so long singing the same old song I know every crack in the the name of the game And nice guys get washed away like the snow and the rain
4: There's been a
0: When you were growing up in New Mexico, and you decided that truck driving and uranium mining might not be the best <laughs> direction to go for your careers, w- was there cattle in eastern New Mexico? I mean, did you, how did you get well, interested? Well, this was, in,
1: Grants is in western New Mexico. I'm sorry, so yeah, in, yeah, yeah. yeah. I ultimately,
0: there, did move back to eastern New Mexico. But, uh, what made you interested in uh, the bovine world?
1: Uh, actually, I didn't get interested in bovines all that much. Uh, until I went to college, but I, was, I had an interest because my grandfather in Arkansas uh, was a small uh, class B dairy farmer. In other words, he, made, he produced milk that went into cheese making. And uh, Which now is a, a lot of milk goes into cheesemaking. Then that was kind of a second-class citizen, you know. If you, you produce milk for cheese, it wasn't quite the grade Were and quality. Were
0: there Class C farmers?
1: I don't know about Class C, but there was definitely Class A milk and Class B milk. But so
0: the Class A milk was, again, uh, yeah, that's was what the you, one that delivered to your house. That's what you'd get delivered to your time. house to drink, yeah. yeah. Um, and, what distinguished uh, a Class B cow from a Class A cow?
1: Well, in my grandfather's case, I mean, he milked in, into cans, uh, and, you know, the cans would be picked up on a truck and hauled into the cheese factory, and then they'd bring him back sterilized cans. I think the sterilization and the cleanliness was probably not what it would be in a Class A dairy. In fact, he, he ultimately quit because he couldn't afford the investment of adding on a bulk tank and all the sanitizing features that you needed to, to uh, meet the standards that they were imposing.
0: I- my wife and I very much have enjoyed and read over and over again the All Creatures Great and Small series mm-hmm. that was written by a real Yorkshire, G-Games England yeah. um, veterinarian, mm-hmm. and talks about the. He he was he started as a vet uh, after World War II. And so it was there for the great revolution of sanitization right. of uh, uh, antibiotics, and really the, the the eventual industrialization of agriculture, the motorization of agriculture. Right. Uh, it seemed to me that in Yorkshire, England, in the forties, was a little bit, but was maybe a couple decades behind the United States in terms of technology. I mean, there were farmers; that were still using horses to, yeah, to pull plows. True. What was yeah. the state of technology when you were growing up of f- f- uh, dairy farming and and and, ca- and cattle ranching?
1: Probably a bit behind where we are now, but not too far off. I mean, I think what's happened in in the beef industry, and in the dairy industry, really in agriculture in general, is we've become much more. Uh, things have become larger. Uh, corporate farming is kind of the reality these days. Even family operations are much larger than they used to be, and so because of that, they're more mechanized. They're more, you know, they're they're more technology savvy. Uh, it's just amazing some of the technology that's available across the board in in farming and livestock operations these
0: days. Well, going back to Rhinestone Cowboy, I guess for those of us who consume products of the land um we're always worried and i think this is you tell me whether this is a myth my my sense is that agriculture today is safer for the consumer than ever before in other words that you know if you were getting fresh milk in the 30s there was a real possibility you would get bacterial infection that you would get you because you just don't know you know what was in that that can so the regulations and industrialization have been very good for hygiene and, and safety. You know, when when people are poisoned by spinach today, it's like a national news story right. because, you know, it's relatively I, I think you're
1: right. Yeah, it's much safer in terms of, uh, you know, the, the negative is that you can – because things are much more concentrated now and a lot of, of products from different parts of the country or even world flow through one or two areas, if something goes wrong in that one – or two areas, you can have a problem. But we've got enough uh, enough measures in place that that's an incredibly rare experience now, as opposed to what it was 30, 40 years ago. I think you're right. It is overall very much safer, but we also have a much better media now, as you know, and uh, we get the word out a lot sooner and, and uh, it becomes a lot more known when we do have problems with food safety issues, for example. Uh, but the total number is probably significantly less than it was
0: many years ago. What do you think about something like taste? You know, I mean, I, I, there is an impression turkey, chicken, beef, because of industrialization, maybe because of some of the safety procedures is simply not as good as it was say 30 years ago uh, did you ever watch the, the movie the man who shot liberty valence oh yeah yeah okay yeah. well i think thought john you did. Wayne yeah <laughs> well there's a scene in there where john wayne goes into a restaurant in this western town and he orders steak yeah <laughs> and i oh well, the first time i saw that scene i just laughed and laughed because the steak was a piece of meat that i swear was the size of a manhole cover yeah, and that's what
1: you can still get those in Amarillo at the Big Texan. Yeah, the 72 <laughs> And if you ounces, eat it in an hour.
0: Yeah, you know I mean? it's one of those, you know, 72 <laughs> ounces. Right. If you fit. Uh, it was gigantic. And, of course, they greased the pan with, like, two big, like, you know, head-sized gallops of, of butter. Yeah. You know, and I think he ordered another one to go or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, but this
1: was John Wayne.
0: And it also yeah. was massively... Rounded with fat. I right, mean, at least half right. of that steak was fat. I don't think any human would order that <laughs> at a restaurant. Nor nor would they even serve something. No, with that yeah. level of uh, fat, uh, that's been one evolution of the cow. Right, the cow today is very different than the cow. Yeah, for we've
1: selected for. Uh, we've selected for, and the technology we use has created a much leaner product than we've had in the past. Whether it's beef or or. Poultry or whatever, the, the products are leaner than they were in the past. From a flavor standpoint, yeah, what we do may reduce the flavor compared with an animal that's, uh, you know, a grass-fed animal is going to have a slightly different flavor probably than one that's fed on grain in terms of beef uh, in the poultry industry. Uh, Free-range chickens. I don't eat chicken very often, so but I'm, I'm assuming they may have a slightly different flavor. So there's some trade-offs there probably in terms of what we get. But I think overall we have much leaner products and, and uh, potentially, therefore, healthier products than we've had in the past. What do you eat? I am pretty much just a beef guy. My wife gets irritated with me. So if I'm out of town or at a meeting you know, where I'm not going to be home for dinner, she'll have fish or chicken or something. But
0: I want to point out uh, that uh, Dean Gelling is uh – I'd say you weigh about 350, 400 pounds. No, you're you're a quite trim person. So I, so, how do you balance the? I run. You run. Yeah, okay, so you yeah. run the beef off.
1: I run the beef off. No, actually, I'm not a big. I I eat, uh, I eat breakfast. I eat uh, dinner. Don't usually eat lunch, and and I run. So I I I work pretty hard to try to stay at about the same weight.
0: Your next song is "Beyond the Sea" by the very famous and incredibly versatile Bobby Darin. Bobby Darin. Who yeah. Wrote in every genre of music, yeah. I yeah. think. Interesting he, guy. He, he, he died, unfortunately, way too young, but he, in his last phase of his career, he was moving into the country in Western mm-hmm. as well. Beyond the Sea, do you remember when that first struck you?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a jukebox song, and and it was, I guess, a song that uh, either came with the jukebox, or because I don't think it was a, it was a type of song that my parents would have liked all that much. But it was in the collection of 45s that came with the jukebox. So, uh, you know, I just happened to play it and liked it the first time i heard it play it very often when i had the jukebox on it's that kind of big band you know background song and or in the background of the song and bobby darren's got a great voice and you know i there's a there's a group of those songs bobby darren dean martin has some that i really like frank sinatra has some that i really like i'm not a huge fan of that sound but but there's a few of those that i really like and this is one of them.
4: i
0: In college, did you major in agriculture?
1: I did. I majored yeah. in, in uh, my BS is in agriculture, right? from the
0: very beginning, like you, you went into the college saying, I'm going to...
1: Well, actually, it. I went in to be a veterinarian. I was going to be a veterinarian. And... Uh, I'm not sure how I made that decision. I liked animals, and and that seemed like a now, good. this thing was to a do. time
0: where veterinarian meant big <clears throat> animal veterinarian. The, the the pocket peck trade had not caught on the way now. Where the real money's in cats now, right? So yeah. Well, <laughs>
1: even then, the real money was probably in small animal practices, <laughs> yeah. but uh, and that's where most of the business was. But yeah, my attraction would have probably been more the large animal side of that. But so I went to uh, I went to New Mexico State University for my bachelor's degree, as you said, and and. Uh, I started out in pre-veterinary medicine. At that time, you could get in, and you still can now. There was a time you couldn't, but you could get in after three years. You did your pre-professional requirements. And New Mexico had contracts with... uh, Colorado State and uh, Washington State, they didn't have a vet school of their own, and I actually got admitted after, after my uh, junior year to both of those schools, was, was a month away from going to Colorado State, and decided to stay at New Mexico State and do graduate school because I had been working in the animal science department in a research lab basically for three years. Uh, and uh, I just really enjoyed that and decided, you know, I think I'd rather do this. And I had a lot of faculty members there working on me, you know, to say, oh, you really need to go into, uh, you know, into research and teaching, not into vet school. And they finally convinced me, and I made that choice and went on into to grad school.
0: And, and that often happens in college, right? That, uh, I see it happen all the time where a student may come in with one particular vector, and then they... Usually, and I'm sure you, you talk to so many alumni, and I, maybe, I, I I love to compare notes here because what I hear almost all the time from every alum from 22 to 82 is that there was one particular professor or a couple of professors that really, something clicked, yep. like inspiration, mentorship. Uh, we often talk about students major in professors, not disciplines, <clears throat> you know, yep. because it's really where they feel most inspired.
1: No, I, I think that's right. I, I have always... You know, you don't, you know that because it's your own experience, right? That that you had people in your life as professors in college who had a big influence on you. But that really gelled for me as dean. And when you talk with alumni in particular, and it's a faculty member or a couple of faculty members that really had a huge influence on their life. And, you know, I've published a lot of journal articles, but I've prone to tell people lately, you know, I don't think the alumni are out there remembering the last journal article I wrote. They're remembering that person in a classroom who really had a big effect in their life. And uh, I I think there's a we should have a lot more admiration for good teachers who have that influence on people's life than we sometimes do.
0: Your next song is Wildfire by Michael Martin Murphy and a song that's related to Red River, another another famous location. We've talked about Maybe the industrialization of agriculture, but don't most people who who either stay in farming or go or go into other forms of agriculture, don't they still love the outdoors? And isn't that one of the driving forces of being that? Yeah, I, I mean, think I, so. I don't think people say, "I'll either be a cattle manager or I'll manage an auto plant." I mean, right? No. right?
1: Yeah, and usually there's a there's a financial trade off, you know, associated with that. You might make more money being the auto plant manager, but. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, that people who uh, have a fondness for agriculture and uh, whether it be the land or animals or whatever, make a conscious decision to to keep that as part of their life when they when they select a career. I mean that that was important to me. It's still important, and uh, you know I, I just love grazing animals, for example. I don't know what it is, but if you've ever... I've done a lot of research with grazing animals, and that's always been uh, some of the best times I can remember in terms of research was out in a pasture working with animals and collecting fecal samples. I know that sounds really exciting, but, but
0: uh, it was do we, fun. Do we have a video of that? Uh, we, show no, no. I, t-
1: I tried to make sure there were no cameras present.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's terrific that you are in the field getting data you know there's not much these days
1: but I used to be yeah Yeah.
0: what does wildfire mean to you
1: well wildfire is a song that does remind me of of northern New Mexico in particular the Red River area Michael Martin Murphy lived there for a while and uh, he has a great fondness for that part of the world and uh, he wasn't affiliated with that part of the world when he wrote the song uh, but it it was uh, I I like songs if, if you look at the playlist I like songs that have piano in them and uh, it has a great piano intro and whatever you call it, the thing on the end and I, I don't know what it is the first time i heard the song i liked it and uh, we go to see michael martin murphy when he's in town he's usually here every year for a christmas show at the cactus always sings wildfire and uh, it is definitely worth the price of the ticket if you're a wildfire fan to hear him do that he's a nice man by the way we were we've been able to meet him and i have a 45 in my jukebox unfortunately not wildfire i haven't been able to find that but i have one called cowboy logic that he did, several years ago, that was a successful country song. We were able to get him to sign our 45 of cowboy. He, he was amused by the fact that we had a 45. So.
2: <laughs> she comes down from Yellow Mountain. On a dark flatland she rides. On a pony she named Wildfire whirlwind by her side on a cold Nebraska night
4: Oh they say she died There came a-killing frost
2: And the pony she named Wildfire
0: So going back to your research, what would you say are the really big questions you've been asking in what you've studied with ruminants?
1: Yeah, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of variety in what I've done in research. And when I started out at New Mexico State... We had an opportunity to do some things with grazing animals that really hadn't been done before. So we started making some measurements of the digestive physiology of grazing animals. And by that, I mean how much they were eating, how much, how fast it was passing through the gastrointestinal tract, how much was being digested, and so on, which people really hadn't done before. And uh, that was kind of neat because we demonstrated that you could actually do it in a 700-acre pasture if you had animals that were that were tame enough, uh, and students that were willing to get out and collect samples all hours of the day and night. Uh, So I've really enjoyed that phase of my life. I kind of moved on from there to worrying more about animal health, and I've I've dealt with a lot of questions about animal health, particularly when we ship animals, they are more prone to disease, especially uh, respiratory disease in beef cattle. So I've done a lot of work with that, uh, and uh, some with that turned out to be very successful with some antibiotic regimens that were able to help prevent respiratory disease.
0: Uh, that's and, probably again, as a consumer, one of the big issues that you hear about, and you know, you people pay a premium for Allegedly, or, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it really is. Herb, you know, or, or, yeah. yeah. What would you say to the average layperson about the question of antibiotics and cattle?
1: Well, that's a rapidly changing field, actually, and and uh, I th- I think we uh, there is. Not a great deal of evidence to suggest that antibiotic use in cattle uh, has any major effect on antibiotic resistance in the overall health arena of how antibiotics are used. There's a little bit, but there's not much. And I think we need to be judicious in what we do with antibiotics. The applications that I was involved with were therapeutic uses. So we were giving an injectable antibiotic, for example, to an animal where most people would argue that the risk of antibiotic resistance is far less with that kind of approach than with the feeding of antibiotics. Uh, and quite frankly, the, at least in, in the beef area, maybe a, a little bit less so in swine and poultry, but antibiotic feeding is not the norm. We, we really don't do a lot. Of, uh, certainly antibiotics that are used in human medicine applications are not normally fed in the livestock industry. So, But that's changing. The FDA has just uh, put out a new guidance on that, and uh, that's all now going to be under veterinary uh, prescription if people do choose to feed an antibiotic. So there's gonna be even more control than we've had in the past on that.
0: beef industry in West Texas has been very challenged, of course, by drought. Drought. Is, yeah. is there still a beef industry in West Texas?
1: Oh, yeah. We have... Uh, it's challenging because the drought for the... You know, since basically 2011, we've had a lot of people who had to depopulate. They've not been able to... And by that, I mean move animals usually somewhere else or sell animals. Uh, and we've had a lot of the major ranchers who moved animals to Montana or Nebraska or places where they could get grass for the cows. But uh, it's, it's a challenge because, you know, we don't have forage to bring them back yet. And uh, even when we do bring them back, the number of cows around the country is a lot less than it used to be. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge for the beef industry to rebuild, I think.
0: Right now, I was just reading that beef prices are an all-time high. And, and that's a because we of...
1: just don't have a lot of beef around. Yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah. why is that? Uh,
1: it's... A lot of reasons, but the drought is part of that. Uh, we've we've been producing larger animals that have maintained l- levels of beef production in terms of meat being produced, uh, but we've been doing that with fewer cows. Um, just market conditions kind of resulted in people tightening up their cow herds and uh, and not having as many cows around and and you do that for enough years and it eventually catches up to you So we're now in a position where everybody knows we need to rebuild But it's it's probably going to take a few years to to rebuild to anywhere near where we were ten years ago
0: Your next song was mandolin rain And you say that you'd worked at New Mexico State for about 19 years And you spent a lot of that time or six years of that time in Clayton, New Mexico uh, Yep. And that's right. I like what you said You told me here Clayton is in the middle of nowhere, but you can see it from there <laughs>
1: Yeah, we love Clayton. It's a really neat place. It's kind of a tree. It's a savanna type environment. You know, there's not a lot of trees there. You have to like grassland. Uh, But it was a neat place to live. I always enjoyed being out in the fall on the grasslands because there's something about the way the sun hits the grass in the fall that's kind of neat, particularly in the late afternoon. But uh, and it's, you know, every place has its own Type of beauty, and I think the plains and the high plains in particular have a neat beauty. But that's a song that my that I first heard when my wife and I were sitting eating lunch. I'd go home for lunch because we lived on the station, which I haven't been able to do anywhere else we've been. Uh, but uh, my wife and I listened to that song on uh, country music television on the you know we had a satellite dish and we got. We got country music television, and they played videos, and that was one of the videos that we saw. So I, I really liked it the first time I heard it and uh, kind of discovered Bruce Hornsby because of that.
4: song came and went Like the times that we spent Hiding out from the rain Under the car. Laughed and she'd smile Listen to the bed, listen to the music on away. I'll oh, listen to my heartbreak. Every time she runs away, oh, listen to the bed. Your wind sets off, drifting low. Listen to the tears roll down my face as she turns to fall.
0: Your next song is The Way It Is and it, it, you another said Bruce Hornsby so, another yeah. Bruce Hornsby and yeah. you told me after i purchased the Bruce Hornsby cassette yep for our yes. younger listeners <laughs> it's not a cassette is not a uh, dessert <laughs> it's another form of listening to music yeah. right before yeah the and i
1: did buy the cd later on yes but it, because the cassettes you know were prone to break uh, if you played them enough but um, yeah, that, I bought that and and discovered that song, which is which is actually the title track on the album, uh, and uh, was probably the more famous song. I mean, it was a I don't know where it got to on the Billboard charts, but pretty high up. And uh, it's a it's a social injustice kind of song. It's again a great piano song, but and I like I like what Bruce Hornsby does in terms of the vocals and and the instrumental pieces that he uses, but. But it really—the lyrics of the song are are kind of about social injustice.
0: What social injustice?
1: Well, in this case, discrimination because of of race, in particular.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is the first song that I I guess, a little bit, Amazing Grace that that had a political message of any kind that you'd listen to. Did you go through a phase? When you listen to political songs? Or? Nah, not really.
1: You know, like everybody in the '70s, everything was
0: political in the Vietnam era, but yeah.
1: <laughs> and there were a lot of political songs, whether we knew they were or not, I guess. But uh, uh, but no, I really wasn't into that necessarily. I've uh, I certainly have strong feelings about discrimination and particularly racial discrimination, but uh, and uh, so I, I support the message <laughs> that Bruce Hornsby had in the song, but. Uh, I really never been one to get big into political kinds of things.
4: Standing in line, mugging time, waiting for the welfare dime. They can't buy a job. Man in silk suit hurries by as he catches the poor old lady's eyes. Just for fun, he get a job. That's just the way.
0: We also have the next one, which I I, I haven't I have never actually th- thought about what my ten are yet. But uh, "Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald" once again one of those songs that every <laughs> would probably not
1: one... be there, right? <laughs> uh, maybe I don't know.
0: Uh, we'll see. But uh, it's definitely one of those songs that everybody's heard at some point. Uh, he's the poet laureate of Canada, right? <laughs> and um, he was here
1: at Lowick a Gordon few years Leifler. ago. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately we were not able to see him. But I would have liked to have done that. I think uh, Gordon Lightfoot is I like a lot of Gordon Lightfoot's songs, but this one in particular, I really like it's it's a it's an odd song, and I just like the story behind the song,
0: yeah, and I was thinking to Edmund Fitzgerald because um of course, we just had a very tragic uh, ship catastrophe, right, and the captain has been arrested, <laughs> yeah, and apparently under South Korean law, will be prosecuted because of many yeah, some, certain a things, things he's situation. alleged to do. Uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald, of course, the captain went down went with down. the ship. And yeah. when I when I've listened to this song probably about twenty times, I was I was often thinking, not in any way to parallel the captain of a ship and the dean in in dangerous situations, but you know, there is this sense like, my God, you're responsible for everything, and there must have been that moment there. Try where not he to think about that very often. <laughs> uh, you know, that the, 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 the everything in the building to some extent, uh, or everything right. on the ship. Uh, in some way connects to a decision that you either have made or will will have to make.
1: And a great lesson is that catastrophes can come along that may sink that ship. So yeah, it, that's a little bit of a frightening thought. I try not to lay awake too often at night thinking about those kind of things.
4: The wind and the wild and a sound and away over the river. And every night When afternoon came, it was freezing rain in the face of a hurricane, west wind. -hmm. When supper didn't the old cook came on deck saying, Fellas, it's Joe. At 7pm, the main hatch we gave in He said, fellas, it's been good to know you The captain wired in, he had water in the air, And the big ship and crew was in peril And later in that night when the lights went out of sight In the wreck of the Edmund, the Fitzgerald
0: Now, I uh, joked with you about your next song, (laughs) Rocket Man. Of course, now, coming from New Mexico, right? Yeah. There's there's local connections uh, Uh, there.
1: Yeah, very much so. I used to drive across the White Sands Missile Range all the time. Sometimes you'd get stopped because they were firing rockets.
0: Did you hear this song while you were there the first time or later?
1: No, actually, uh, we were. We were. I think the first time I heard it was when we were vacationing. Uh, now this goes back a bit because it was on an eight track. The first time I heard it, eight uh, track, and um, it was my brother in law's tape. I'm sure we'd gone to northern New Mexico in the Pecos Wilderness area, and we were coming back, and I think this was the first time I heard the song. You know, this is one of those songs that that uh, anytime it comes on, I'll stop and sit there and listen to it. I just really like it. I like Elton John in general, a lot of his music, uh, but this is a song that I particularly like. I can't tell you exactly why, I just really
2: like it.
3: She packed my bags last night, pre-flight
2: Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not man.
0: Your next song is Wave on Wave by Pat Green. What did the song mean to you?
1: You know, it's just one of those songs that when I heard, I heard a snippet of it actually on the radio when we were traveling to one of my meetings. And uh, so, you know, of course, the Internet had to come along by then. And this was like 2007 or thereabouts. So I looked up the song on the Internet, knew it caught enough of the lyrics that I could, could figure out what it was. Subsequently learned that Pat Green is a tech graduate. And obviously, in terms of Texas country music, a big name, and uh, his father-in-law is a gentleman by the name of Rick Kellison, who who works in my college. Uh, didn't learn that until much later. In fact, when I became dean, I learned that about Rick. That Pat Green is his son-in-law. But uh, and it, you know, it's just one of those songs that I I just really like the the sound of the song. I think more than anything else.
5: While We're all playing the same game We're all looking for redemption Just afraid to say the name So caught up now in pretending What we're seeking is the truth I'm just looking for a happy ending All I'm looking for is you me way, a You're the reason I'm still here yeah. Am I the one you were sent to say? When it came upon me way, away I wandered out into the water And I thought that I might Had you, baby Just waiting for you to find What you were looking for
0: Is Randy Travis digging up bones? Randy Travis. Yeah. Now, I looked this up, or our researcher looked it up for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> digging up bones <laughs> is a song written by Paul Overstreet, Al Gore, and Nat Stuckey. Now, is that?
1: I don't. That's not the. That's not Al Gore. Some other guy. No, he was too busy inventing the internet at yeah, that time. Well, <laughs>
0: yeah. I was just thinking if, yeah. if your if your name is Alvin or Albert Gore. You know, you probably yeah. should go with, like, Albert or yeah. Alvin or something.
1: something different so than Al Gore. Yeah. You know, right.
0: congratulate the wrong person yeah. there. Yeah. Digging Up Bones by Randy Travis. And there's, there's a line in here that you uh, quoted to me. I'm digging up bones. I'm digging up bones. Exhuming things that's better left alone. Right. Yeah,
1: which, uh, you know, as I think I said to you, I bet you and I both have been in meetings where we've done exactly that. We have dug up stuff we should have left covered. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, but I I think you agree that uh, we need to know. Oh, yeah, and especially, especially in terms of safety, which is a huge focus of tech, is to make sure we we are safe in our labs, whether it's the human subject labs that we deal with. Yeah, those are
1: bones we do need to some of the labs. you,
0: you need to know everything, right? And to make sure everything's working, right? That is absolutely true
3: yeah
1: and I think becoming incre- in fact I just had a conversation with one of our faculty members about that yesterday that uh, we've we've got to do the best job we can to protect our students and faculty and workers and and uh, we've probably been a little lax in that in the past i like i'm I'm very proud of the fact that tech is focusing on that and making that an issue across campus
0: yeah, and that's something we're interested in uh, we have these human subject labs that we're also doing and which I'll talk to you about a. A series of videos about safety at Tech, mm-hmm. and we're doing one about in the mechanical engineering lab now
1: well of course in in ag we have ag natural resources we have lots of issues relative to safety that are very unique we have farm operations for example so we have farm equipment people working with animals all the time you know 1500 pound Steers can hurt you if they want to. Uh, they usually don't want to, but they might accidentally hurt you. We have people out in the field working with all kinds of wildlife. So, you know, animal bites or issues like that are a potential problem. They can get snake bit, whatever, you know. So we have some unique safety issues in the college.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we are very lucky at Tech to have so many great people who are trying to improve the world. And I know that your college is a leader in that, in we its, are trying. its areas, and, and yeah. you are their leader, and, and we are grateful for your presence among well,
1: us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I have to say that that uh, it's incredibly tough to come up with 10 songs. You know, I'm sure everybody tells you that, but uh, particularly when I got down to that 10th one, I was like, oh, I don't know what I want to do here. You know? for, first of all, there's way too many options, and then you you know, you know also ask us to think about songs that had an effect on our lives. So uh, that's, uh, that's a challenge. Thank you. Appreciate Ray. you giving me the opportunity.
3: Last night I dug your picture out from our old dresser drawer I set it on the table and I talked to it till four I read some old love letters right up till the break of dawn Yeah, I've been sitting alone, digging up bones Then I went through the jewelry and I found our wedding ring Put mine on my finger And I gave yours a fling Across this lonely bedroom Of our recent broken home Yet tonight I'm sitting alone Digging up bones I'm digging up bones I'm digging up, diggin up bones Resuming things that's better Left alone but I'm resurrecting of a love that's dead and gone Yet tonight I'm sitting alone Digging up bones And I went through the closet And I found some things in there Like that pretty negligee That I bought you to wear And I recall how good you looked Each time you had it on Yet tonight I'm sitting alone, digging up bones, I'm digging up bones, I'm digging up bones, bones. exhuming things that's better left alone. i